0: chapter 4 and we are on page 1096 in the church bibles acts chapter 4 starting at verse 23 page 1096 on their release peter and john went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had.
1: Thanks, Maisie, for, for reading that passage. Um, if you could keep that uh, chapter open, that would be really helpful as we sort of follow it together. It's been really lovely uh, time already this evening, just praying together. And uh, for those who are visiting, um, we, we pray that you've, this was okay for you and you didn't feel on the outside that you felt really part of it and we can pray together. Uh, so thanks so much for, for, for being with us uh, this evening. Now I don't know what uh, you, your la- your latest box sets are. What's the, the ones that your binge-worthy programs that you like to devour? But any good box set is to leave us the key to any good box set is to leave us craving for more. And inevitably, we'll be ones where they we have the greatest cliffhangers, or those freeze-frame moments. Those moments when you turn to the person that you're watching with and go, no way! What has happened? We've got to watch the next episode. And then you try and work out whether you can survive work or school just on six hours sleep. And cliffhangers are usually involved genuine uh, threat of life, or in less action-packed shows, a twist of or revelation that ends the episode before it's resolved. Uh, And some cliffhangers are better than others, aren't they? And here's just a couple from me. Uh, Friends, for example, when Ross is about to marry Emily, uh, but whilst they're taking their vows, she says Rachel's name rather than Emily's name, and it's really awkward. And then the closing credits come up, and that just ends the episode and ends the season. You're like, whoa, what just happened? I'm not endorsing Friends, by the way, uh, just in case. Uh, or take the second series of Sherlock Holmes, where in the concluding episode, Sherlock dies, and John Watson is trying to deal with a fallout in the final moments of the episode. But then in the last-minute twist, where Watson is at the graveside, Begging Sherlock to be alive, and he just walks off. The camera turns and shows Sherlock Holmes watching him from a distance. And then it ends, and you're just left to thinking, how did Sherlock do that? Well, the Bible has these sort of types of cliffhanger moments, these freeze-frame moments. And one of my favorites is in this passage in Acts chapter 4, which we're looking at briefly tonight in our series, Gospel Growth. Where in the previous episode, uh, Peter and John have been arrested and put into prison by the ruling authorities for healing a lame man and for preaching that in verse 12, have a look. Salvation is found in no one else than Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. The ruling authorities in front of Peter and John were responsible for the the, um, execution of Jesus And commanded them, in verse 18, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now then, let's just imagine. You had an opportunity to share the gospel with someone from work. Who has shown some real interest in Christianity. Maybe it's because something in the news is causing distress. Like the the beheading of the Ukrainian soldier. Or the continued testing of ballistic missiles in North Korea, and you share your faith in a God who can take care of you even in dangerous times. But then the HR department finds out about it as somebody makes a complaint, and it's against your company's diversity policy, and you're hauled in front of the tribunal and threatened. And they say, well, if you want to look after your job, we suggest you do not speak any further about these things at work. Maybe you're a teacher. And it becomes known by the children that you're a Christian, and so students have questions for you, and you have answers for them as you try to answer, as a Christian, this is what I believe, and this is what I think. But then there's a complaint from another student, or a student's parent, and they write to the head teacher, and they complain about you, and so you're dragged in front of the governors, and you're warned not to speak any more about your faith in school time. Can you imagine those more months? It's really intimidating, isn't it? What do you do? What do you do? Well, Peter and John say in verse 20, have a look. We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. They are convinced that there is no other way for people to be saved from hell to heaven. And such a proclamation for us today in our pluralistic world may have similar response to the one they encountered in this chapter. One in which there's a real threat into silence from our culture around us. But you see, this is exactly the reason why we need to speak up and not be silent because Christianity is in many ways to God, but it is the only way to God. There is no other name in which people can be saved. There will be no gospel growth numerically if we do not proclaim Jesus Christ, even when it's tough and even when we're bullied into silence. And as we look at Peter and John's response, we think, what courage, what boldness. And then we read in verse 21, that after further threats, the authorities let them go because they could not decide how to punish them as all the people were praising God for what had happened. And here is the freeze frame moment, the cliffhanger moment before the next episode begins. I mean, what's going to happen? What will Peter and John do now? Where will they go? Will they keep on preaching? Will they be silent? Will they start an underground church? Do they walk away discouraged? Do they start planning to overthrow the Sanhedrin? Do they stockpile swords and shields? What do they do? Well, the apostles regroup. And they pray. And the reason why they pray is given in verse 24. Have a look. They are praying to a sovereign God. And that's their motivation to pray in our first point. And last time we looked at the Lord's Prayer and we found that the motivation to pray there was based on the fact that God is our Heavenly Father. And because of this, we can approach him with boldness and confidence. We don't have to coerce him um, to listen to us or have special techniques to try and get our prayers answered. He is our Father who longs to pray for us and to hear for us. And here we have the motivation to pray to God here because God is sovereign. Sovereign. Over everything. God made everything and he rules over everything. He is sovereign over all things. Nature, nations, disease, death, angels, demons, good people, bad people. Every far-flung star in his countless galaxies to every molecule in our planet. And he works out everything. The big picture, the little details and everything in between according to his own good and sovereign purposes. And so he is the one that we need to turn to. He is the one we turn to. Verse twenty-four says this: They raised their voices together in prayer to God, Sovereign Lord. They said, "You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them." They recognise that God is sovereign over everything, and I think the reason that they and I think the reason why they've included that He's not just a creator of heavens and the earth, but the seas as well, is because the sea in the ancient world was untamed and all part of nature, the most dangerous. And outside of human control, and so that acknowledging that there is nothing, nothing out of God's control, and if there were, well, what's the point of praying then? What's the point of praying? If we pray to God, please help me in this situation or that situation, but God says, "I'm so sorry." Now, if you'd have asked me in this situation, this situation, but you've asked me in that situation, and I can't help you, it's not under my control, there's nothing I can do about it, then he isn't sovereign. But more like a heavenly civil servant who says, sorry, it's not my department, you need to talk to planning or customer services. No, they know God is sovereign over everything, even over human decisions. Verse 27, 28, have a look. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servants, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will have decided beforehand should happen. As the apostles find themselves in a tight spot, being threatened into silence, they remind themselves that God has the power over every situation. Even in the darkest day, when they watch Jesus murdered God was still in control and had the power to bring about his own purposes. And so as they remind each other that God was in control on that darkest day, they remember they reminded that he's in control of their situation and their experiences now. And that's the same for us as well. And so when we find ourselves in front of tribunals or school governors as Christians for sharing our belief in Jesus, or we get negative press as a church, for our position on the infallibility of Scripture, we shouldn't be surprised to receive similar treatment to which Jesus faced. God is in charge of human beings, even when they're doing evil and opposing him. God is still in charge and sovereign over evil human decisions, just like he was when Herod and Pontius Pilate conspired together to kill an innocent man. Nothing escapes his control. He's in control of the advance of ISIS in Afghanistan. And he will be sovereign, God willing, over the end of the tyranny in Afghanistan. God is sovereign over the changes in university, where it's becoming more and more difficult for Christians to proclaim Jesus. He is sovereign over the school syllabus, with their increase in secular views, in religious education, science and sex education. And God willing... He will be sovereign over the softening towards Christianity at universities and in schools in the future. He is sovereign over everything, and so it's worth praying to him. But the most extraordinary thing for me is that even though the apostles have this great confidence that God in heaven runs the whole earth and everything is in his hands, what do they pray for? What do they pray for in verse 29? Do you see it? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, point two. The astonishing thing is that their prayers, they don't complain to God about what they just experienced. They don't pray for the religious leader's downfall or an easy time. They don't pray for the hearts of the authorities to soften so they can stop the threats. But they pray for more boldness, for more courage, despite the opposition, I think this is incredible. It's incredible because it totally wouldn't be the thing that I would be praying first. You see, actually, this is quite common prayer in the New Testament. Paul in Ephesians 6 says in chapter 6, pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm embastered in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He prays for boldness. And so should we. We should pray that we wouldn't feel intimidated and fall silent. We should pray that we would have more courage so the gospel growth around us won't stop despite the challenges and the oppositions that we face. Now, as a volunteer with Christians in Sport, we encourage our Christian friends to pick three teammates who are not Christians to pray for. They write these three names down on a card And they resolved to pray for them over the season for them to know Jesus Christ, which is a great thing, isn't it? Let me just suggest another way which connects better with this passage as we think about gospel growth over the next three weeks and God willing, longer. Why don't you pick three Christian friends from church and pray for them? That they would be courageous and bold for the gospel where God has placed them. You see, the, the bottleneck in evangelism isn't, People being converted when they hear the word of God because God is sovereignly in control. But the bottleneck is us speaking to Jesus, uh, to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, may I just suggest that you try and find a couple of Christian friends and pray for one another to have greater boldness and courage in your witness for Jesus Christ. Why not help each other know what context? Did you share Jesus in the workplace, in the university, in the college, in school, with family, with friends? And what areas you find intimidating so that we can encourage each other to be more courageous and bold? And I notice as we close that in verse 31, we get a wonderful encouragement as God answers prayer. 31 says this. After they prayed, The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The the filling of the Holy Spirit here isn't the same as the giving of the Holy Spirit, as, as the Holy Spirit is given to every believer the moment of salvation and remains with the believer all their lives. But the filling of the Holy Spirit comes to us when we surrender more of our lives over to God's control and will for our lives. And some of the experiences of being filled with the Holy Spirit may result in a variety of consequences, including a greater love for God, a greater victory over sin, a greater power in our ministry. And in Acts chapter 4, we can include a greater boldness and eagerness to speak about Jesus. You see, the early church here in Acts 4 were feeling fearful, just like us, from the threats of the authorities. But their response was to ask God for boldness to preach. And God answered their prayer. And so, are we responding to our fears of threats, disprovals, or scorn with desperate prayer for God to come and empower us to overcome? Are we laying hold of God until he answers? If not, then we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we're allowing fear... And unbelief to gag or mute our witness to reality and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because we're silent, people who need the gospel aren't hearing it. And so we need to pray that God will fill us with the Holy Spirit because God the Holy Spirit loves to strengthen Christians to testify to Jesus. And as a result of this prayer, we will not only see gospel growth among lost people around us, those people on our hearts, but we will see gospel growth in one another as we grow in confidence and likeness in Jesus Christ. So church, as we pray for gospel growth, will we be motivated by the same heart as Peter and John? A heart for Christ, a heart for lost people, and a heart for this glorious gospel. Not out of heart of guilt, that's not the point of the message this evening. Not a heart of guilt, but a heart that wants to see lost people saved. A heart that is overwhelmed with gratitude for what Jesus has done for us on that cross. A heart that is fueled, empowered by the Holy Spirit. A heart that wants to see gospel growth. A heart that compels us to share this life-changing, life-giving news. The religious leaders at the time wanted to silence the apostles. And this is exactly what the enemy wants to do to us today to be silent. And sadly, we see him succeed in far too many Christians. And so will we be silent witnesses or will we be courageous in our witness and mission to reach the world for Christ? We are spirit-empowered disciples with a sovereign God on our side. And so as God's people, with God's invitation, in God's power, we can be involved in God's unstoppable mission. Let's have a moment of quiet to reflect on who God is calling us to speak to and ponder more on this sovereign God who is in control. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for... uh, this little episode in Acts chapter 4, Lord, where we see uh, two brothers in Christ uh, being hauled in front of the authorities and told not to proclaim Jesus. And we can see that it's not too far away which we're, we're living right today, Lord, where we're seeing um, mouths being wanted to silence when we talk about Jesus, Lord. And so please, God, would you give us wisdom, would you give us boldness? To speak of Jesus, whether that's in the workplace and in the right context, whether that's in school, whether it's in, in, in our communities with our families. Lord God, there are people on our hearts, you know, that we want uh, to know Jesus as their Savior. Uh, so, Lord God, we ask you to help us in our boldness uh, to speak um, clearly to them, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you give us opportunities tomorrow, Lord. When we pray for opportunities, we know that they will come. And so, Lord God, would you be with us as we know that you are in control of everything and that you are a God that loves to save. And so we raise the people that we love to you and we ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen.